Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a CC Radio podcast. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well... We're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just un... Like, the feeling, I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling. Like, you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left. Another one just across the road, shaking the daylights out of the tree. All we get was a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed, and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five star rating and review or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family and that would help us grow. Tonight I'm joined by Don and you may know Don because Don actually directed Australian Skies 1, 2 and also Australian Skies 3 that's coming out later this year. Don, welcome to the show. Hey going? Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you on, mate. You're like a celebrity basically in the paranormal field in Australia these days. I highly doubt that. <laughs> I highly doubt that. But- Thank you for inviting me on the show. I really appreciate you coming on, mate. It's um, it's exciting because I have watched your your documentaries basically back to back over and over. I, I reckon it's been a good 10, 20 times I've seen Australian Skies 1 and 2. Oh, wow. That is good to hear. Good to know someone watched them. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much. So um, you were actually telling me before we hit record that um, you weren't always into the paranormal. So what got you into... Making Australian skies. Uh, I mean, it goes back quite a long way. I, I work in production, camera production, anyway, and um, I started as very at the very beginning, but as a musician, and then transferred across into cameras and, and editing and camera production and, and whatnot. Um, but I was always interested in documentary making. And uh, I think the paranormal has always been one of those fascinations that I've had even as a child. And uh, I've always been very interested in it. And I grew up, I was very much part of the Star Wars generation. And um, I think it left an indelible mark on that whole generation of kids and 
just to see it kind of progress and, uh, you know, yeah, so there's always been a bit of an imprint there with the paranormal and ufology and cryptozoology and all, all that weird and wonderful sort of things. And the other aspect was that for the, for the first part of my life, up to about the age of nine or ten, I grew up on a farm in the middle of New South Wales, um, which is uh, part of a community or part of a township that was in the middle of the Pilliga Scrub or the Pilliga Forest. And if anyone was into, say, Yowies or even Min Min Lights or any of this sort of stuff, uh, you would probably recognise the name. And uh, so I think growing up in that first part of my life, I mean, we heard a lot about the strange things that were around us and all that sort of stuff. And so I think it left a bit of an imprint. Right. And did you have anything happen in on that on that farm? Uh, my father did. Uh, here's where I first, I remember being about the age of about six or seven, and my father was a farmer. We're a farming family, and his best friend was the local police officer. And back in those days, there would be one police officer that would generally look after an entire area, like not just one town, but hundreds and hundreds of kilometres, you know. And, uh, you know, it was in the best interest of the police officer to, you know, obviously get to know the local farmers and who, you know, the pillars of the community and all this sort of stuff. And him and my father became really good friends. And uh, once a week he'd make his way out to our property and uh, on a Friday afternoon or an evening or whatever and have a beer with my dad, you know. And I can remember I used to, at that age, I used to try and sneak up and listen to what they were talking about. And I have a very vivid memory of of hearing uh, this police officer this one particular time talking to my dad about these group of kids, like teenagers, who got chased by a very bright light through the Pilliga Forest and uh, trying to come, coming home to our town or the community that we lived in and they were getting chased by this bright light and uh, terrified them so much so that they almost rolled their car once they, they came out of the forest into our township. Oh, wow. And they, and they actually went and made a report to him. And my father was, yeah, a little bit dismissive of it or, yeah, having a bit of a laugh. But I remember them talking more then about the Yowies and things like this. And, uh, I mean, because of where I was, I had a lot of uh, the kids, I, I had a lot of kid, uh, kids in my school, a lot of friends in my school that were Indigenous. And so I was taking a lot of this information I was hearing and, and going to uh, my friends and saying, hey, guys, have you ever heard of this? And because of their upbringing, cultural differences and stuff, they were telling me stories about their differences and or their upbringing and what they've been taught and stuff like this. So as kids, we were getting this real cross-pollination of, of information, you know. So, yeah, it, it, it made for a very fertile ground and plus then you've got Star Wars coming out as well and stuff. So it was just that was the perfect storm as a, a, a young as a young child to actually start to get bitten by this wonderment. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine so. And I mean, being so young and uh, influential, I mean it, it would have had a, a tremendous impact on, I guess, going forward. And is that how you, you kind of got into the paranormal field in in the sense of filmmaking? No, I. The very first time I, I was working, already doing camera production, uh, we're doing live events, big events, and stuff, and uh, traveling and uh, touring and whatnot. 
I first time we I did something paranormal was I think it was in two thousand seven two thousand eight I think it's two thousand seven I, I a friend uh, and myself we went to Las Vegas for a camera conference over there and um, we spent it's like a, a five day conference or whatever we had a couple of days off but we just wagged the conference for a couple of days. And I wanted to go out, and I, and I was always fascinated with Area 51. And so I said, hey, dude, look. And my, my friend's name was Daniel. He's my best friend. And I said, mate, we've got to go out and check out this Area 51. And I had some camera gear with me anyway. And he said, yeah, cool. So we hired a Mustang, and we drove from L.A. out through the Nevada desert out to Area 51. <coughs> Excuse me. And I – um. I filmed the journey, and I, I was just doing the uh, the camera stuff and, and doing a little bit of the directing. We had no plan. I just said, "Look, we're just going to roll some tape." And Daniel, uh, a complete skeptic, but completely, uh, <laughs> you know, loves to have a laugh. He was like, "Great, I'll be the host." And so we filmed this sort of uh, this thing about this journey of these two Australians going out to Area Fifty One. And uh, we went out there and had a bit of a laugh, and it was a complete uh, piss take, basically. And uh, we came back, and I edited it up, and National Geographic at the time were doing these uh, things for new documentary makers. And we'd been doing, our, our business had been doing content for clients and corporate clients and things like that, which started getting into this sort of stuff. I thought, wow, yeah, I'd like to do a bit of broadcast. And so I made up this thing and I, I sent it to them called the search for Area 51 or something like that. And uh, sent it to them and we won this this new thing for new documentary makers. Oh, wow. And, and uh, they brought us in and said, hey, look, you've won it. And they, they gave us some stuff and some prizes and whatnot. And they said, well, what we really want is could you go out now and could you shoot us? And, and the little documentary thing was about four minutes long. It wasn't long at all. It was a Segway documentary. And what they were doing, it was back in the days when they had National Geographic Adventure, the Adventure Channel on uh, Foxtel. Yeah, yep. And what they were wanting is they were wanting Segway documentaries to play in between their features, just something local, something kind of kitschy, lighthearted, nothing heavy, just, just give us something kind of funky for it something and uh and this is kind of fit the criteria by fluke and they came back and they said loved it right you guys are on can you make us more and we sorted out a deal with them and they sent me and daniel out uh out making this show called the paranoids which were these four minute documentaries about the paranormal and they were all very slapstick and very tongue-in-cheek but it hit the market, you know, and they, they we, we made a handful of these sort of pieces for them and they ran them for about 18 months. Oh, wow, okay. Two, and so that was really the, the beginning of it for us and we went, okay, wow. And then from there on, we just started getting phone calls and we started getting known for it. And so it, it all just, we went, okay, we're, I, mean, I was the one that was interested. Like, okay, look, I'm interested. I don't want to do any more cheesy sort of stuff. I actually want to now make something a bit more serious. I actually want to go headlong into this to see what, what's out there and that's where it began yeah right so well how long was the transition between the um between the i guess the the tongue-in-cheek documentaries to um 
the the full blown UFO investigations? Uh, it came a bit later. I actually went into the paranormal next. The the we we did the Area Fifty One stuff, and the next step was I was really looking for the next project. I wasn't too sure how to begin. I was all new to me, and I didn't even know that it was a community or anything like that. Um, and I would have been around, that would have been about 2007, 2008, then about 2009, 2010, I happened to be scouring an Adam Gumtree, and it was uh, someone looking for camera crew for a paranormal documentary. And I was like, you're kidding. And it was in Sydney, which is where I was living. And I was like, okay, cool. So I answered the ad and I had a meeting with a guy and at Parramatta and he came in and he sat down and his name is Rob Kerr and he said, look, yeah, we've, uh, we're making a documentary. We're looking for camera crew. Would you be interested? And we had a bit of a chat about it and, and what it was. And uh, for me, what I wanted, I was already working, I already had camera work and I was working you know, in production so I was fine but what I was wanting to do is I wanted experience in the paranormal I, I wanted an inroad I wanted to like learn you know because I was sitting there thinking I really enjoyed doing the, uh, the stuff in that geo but now I want to do something serious I want to how much more is there out there you know so I said yeah cool and the name of the documentary was Ghost Crew, and it was spelt G-H-O-Z-T, Crew. So it had a bit of a play on words, you know. And uh, I went in to these guys, and the first, uh, I got the phone call to say, yep, cool, come on, on board. And our first place that I got my call time for was Maitland Jail on the Central Coast in, uh, in uh, New South Wales. And uh, I turn up there thinking, okay, there's going to be catering and all this sort of stuff. And there's just a couple of guys in the car park with a car <laughs> with a couple of road cases. I turn up, going, where's all the jibs and the camera gear? And they're just going, oh, no. And they're pulling out all these, these cameras and all these strange gizmos that flash lights and stuff that I'd never seen before. And obviously they were all like mil meters and K2 meters. I had no idea what they were, you know. And it soon became apparent that I was pretty much the only camera guy there, and these guys were the paranormal investigators. And uh, I proceeded then to spend the next 12 hours locked up in this Maitland jail with these guys running around, and I had an absolute blast. And uh, I spent about nine months with these guys, following them around, and uh, that was the next step or into the uh, into the paranormal. It was really good as well because it taught me a lot. It was my introduction back in those days. It was the beginning of the, it was the Facebook wars. The paranormal world back then was all about Facebook, and it was a huge, big battle between these paranormal groups across Australia to see who was going to get the first show on a, on on Australian television. And uh, it was brutal, and it was fiercely <laughs> competitive. And it was an eye opener for me. And I brought, it and suddenly, in a, in a space of two weeks, I, I, I was just introduced to this vast vista, this panorama of paranormal activity in Australia, this community that I had no idea existed. That you never know when you're on the outside of it, but then once you're in it, you go, "Holy crap! Yeah, this is this is very serious." And did your mindset change about the paranormal as soon as you started to to I guess become involved in those communities? Uh, how so? Uh, like in, 
in the sense that um, you maybe were a little bit more believing of it or, or there was things in there that you maybe just weren't too sure of and things started to really solidify themselves for you, as in, um, you know, paranormal encounters, encounters with ghosts, with spirits, things like that? I can remember that first time, I can remember walking in with road cases and my camera gear thinking that there were ghosts watching me walking in. I was looking over my shoulder as we were loading <laughs> in, thinking that, am I going to get possessed now? <laughs> uh, and I can tell you that after about three months of it, you soon realise that a typical... Have you ever been on a paranormal investigation, Kate? No, I haven't. What, how do you fit into all this? I just had a, I've had a fascination ever since I was a young child. I got handed a paranormal book and a book about... I think it had like 20 different alien types in it. And, you know, looking back now, you know, it's probably all nonsense and all made up. But ever yeah. since then, I was uh, just kind of fascinated on it. And um, basically, I was one of the world's biggest X-Files fans. And uh, ever since that, I've I've been hooked. I've been absolutely intrigued about anything weird, anything supernatural, anything kind of out of this world. Is uh, It's right up my alley. Wow, we'll have to uh, we'll have to see if we can find a camp team to uh, convert you at some stage. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll work, work on work on you then. Yeah. Uh, when, when I walk, well, I tell you, this is how it sort of works for me. Probably very similar to you. I, I thought that uh, I believed everything that I read, and I thought that it was all go from the word go. And I, like I said, I walked into that first one thinking that I'm going to get possessed right now. They're watching me, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it soon becomes apparent that it all works on a very different sort of level. And 90% of the time, there's nothing going on. There's a lot of wishful thinking. There's a lot of downtime. And uh, there's a need for a lot of mental endurance to stay alert but not too alert. Um, and over the next, uh, definitely the next three to six months with these guys, I, I was starting to learn that, okay, there's, there's an irony to it, meaning that just at the point that you kind of think that nothing ever happens and that you can go on three or four of these things in a row and it just seems like a waste of time, then suddenly something possibly will happen that kind of yeah you know, gives you a, a pause for thought, if you like, where you kind of go, oh, that was interesting. Was there ever and, a distinct moment that just made you go, "Yep, yeah, this is this is absolutely worth everything that we're doing"? Uh, that's an odd question uh, because I had an ulterior motive. Mine was my my observation was that I was fascinated with the people. Right, okay. So I was not going into it because of the ghosts. I was going into it because I wanted to see what made these ghost hunters tick. Yeah, right, okay. So for me, yes, it was worth it. Uh, yeah, and and uh, it was a, it introduced me to a group of very fascinating, very passionate people, uh, very contradictory at times volatile and yet, you know, at, at other times very pragmatic. So, uh, no, I found it fascinating because I was coming into it from a documentarian's point of view, not a paranormal investigator's point of view. And after you've done, let's say, a couple of investigations in there, how do you feel about that paranormal world? 
Uh, how do I feel about now? How, how did I feel about then? Oh, I guess after those first couple that you did, because, I mean, you said that you, you went in there and you're mostly intrigued about the people, but I would, I would presume over a couple of investigations, you know, you, there may have been something that, that was in there that was, you know, actually paranormal that was happening. And did that have any effect on you or anything like that? Uh, yeah, there were odd things that happened. There wasn't, uh, I'm a very, yeah, I'm pragmatic, but I'm pretty level with where I stand with everything. And I actually, my job is not to actually go in and find the answers. My job is to just go in and to hit record. So I'm not there to try and convince anyone that what they're experiencing is real or not real. My job is to actually capture what they're experiencing at the time. And oftentimes, that is a completely different world. Some people can be having an episode, and I'm not sharing in that. I'm not feeling it, or it's not affecting me. And um, there is a, and, and, and to put a caveat in that, there is a certain sort of safety through the viewfinder of a camera. And there is a certain sort of distancing that happens with a viewfinder of a camera. And it's not just in the paranormal. This happens in cameras in general. Anyone who's a camera person out there will know exactly what I'm talking about, where you could be doing a fashion show or you could be doing, you know, a big awards night or your red carpet event or something like that. And there's something, a detachment that happens to the viewfinder of a camera that allows you to float through, that you can have fireworks going off around you and you can have so-and-so, someone really famous coming past, but it doesn't really matter because you're somehow just detached with this camera. And that definitely does play a part in the paranormal. And that can be a curse, but that can also be an asset because at some stage I think people who get involved in the paranormal who decide that they're going to make a documentary or they're going to do a film or something, you have to make a choice between are you a paranormal or a, a, an investigator or a ufologist or a cryptozoologist or are you a filmmaker? And you can't be both. I don't believe you can be both. That's my opinion. Sure, there's people out there probably disagree, but I don't believe you can because it's an oxymoron. One will outweigh the other. Absolutely. And it gives you a non-biased view of whatever you're doing there because it's very easy to go in there and be very much on the, on one side of the fence if you're, if you're looking for that. You have to be a journalistic almost, you know, detached. And, um, you know, you still want to have empathy and you still, you know, obviously you're going to be in there and you still want to enjoy yourself. And if you're not enjoying it, then damn dude, don't do it because there's a million other things that will be more beneficial to you to film than going on paranormal investigations. But um, look, I stayed with guys for about nine months um, until I realised that really uh, I, I wasn't going to be able to contribute any more to them and I wasn't probably going to learn any more either. And I, amically, we, I, I left the guys and, and they went on their way and I went my way. But then I moved on to, uh, I by that stage I had an American, it was before Netflix, and it was uh, Netflix at that stage was still, I think, doing postal DVDs. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and but there was a, a new 
uh, online network that had kicked into America called Paranormal Reality TV. I don't think they're still running, but at the stage they were a startup and they were kind of, it was like the battle of the startups for the streaming. The streaming store hadn't quite happened because of bandwidth issues. Yeah. But in America, they were sort of conquering it a bit quicker than what we were. And they kind of got in contact and they were hunt, headhunting, uh, you know, content creators from around the world who were creating this sort of stuff to create specific content for their show. And so I left these guys and I started, they came in and I said, yep, I'll have a go. And we worked out a deal and I started a show called The Spirit Level. And The Spirit Level was slightly different. Spirit Level was, I didn't have a huge budget for it, but I had enough for one, me, pretty much to travel around Australia to go off and do what, you know, to make these shows, shoot, film, edit everything. And The Spirit Level was, uh, a step up from what we've been doing prior. And this one was ghosts. It was, uh, I don't think we did any UFO stuff, but it was also cryptozoology. And that was the first time that I actually went out and did a Yowie sort of thing. And the, uh, I'd done ghost hunts and I did the whole ghost thing and, and the spirit level definitely covered that. And there were some very interesting things that happened there. And, the spirit level series was actually, yeah, that, that's where for me it got very personal or like it got very confronting. Like, wow, okay, this is, this is very interesting. Really? And yeah. And one of those ones, the most weirdest ones in that was a Yowie episode. And that was strange because they kind of came back and said, look, have you got something you can do that's uniquely Australian? I thought, hey, I'll do, I'll do a Yowie sort of thing or something. And, um, I think most people kind of thought that, I think that Yowie's a, you know, I mean, it's kind of it's a, one of those weird things you kind of think, come on, really? Yeah, and we we went out, and this is actually the first time I met Attila Cowdy. Now, I know you've met Attila before, haven't you? Yeah, him yeah, we've had him on the show previously. Yeah, well, that's, uh, it was about, yeah, 2011, 2012, and um, I went out, uh, Attila took me out. On a Yowie, I was interviewing Attila for the Spirit Level for this new show I was doing, and he was taking me out in the Blue Mountains to hunt Yowies. And uh, that was when <laughs> we had some weird things happen out there that I was like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but possibly Yowies could exist. That was like one of those. That was actually, you're talking about before we do a turning point. That was a very distinct turning point for me where I went from being a complete number of like, oh, come on, you're going to be kidding, to like, you know what? I don't think I can I can discount this as quickly as what I first thought. Yeah, right. So what happened on that that expedition? Uh, we I, I went everywhere. It was a, I think it was like a forty five minute episode. I went to Queensland. I uh, interviewed up up in Queensland. I, I did a couple of things, and we had some indigenous folk that took me out into uh, around, and we interviewed. Uh, they took us out into the indigenous areas and talked about their beliefs and stuff. And then it ended with Attila. And uh, Craig Powell from Whisper, and we, they took me up to this place in the Blue Mountains where Attila had actually had allegedly an encounter. And after driving for quite some time, we had to hike it on foot through this bushland for about another hour or so. And so we came to this lookout that overlooked this huge cliff drop on either side. 
and it was just uh, it overlooked the waterboard. Apparently, like no one could get down there. It's run by the the waterboard, so it's very highly protected in the whole thing. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code Listen to get fifty dollars off your purchase of five hundred dollars or more. That's code Listen at BlueNile.com for fifty dollars off your purchase. BlueNile.com code Listen. And that was just on sunset when we got there. We were planning on staying there for most of the night, and we were filming and doing interviews and stuff. And we were. It started getting darker. Teller had brought up cooking equipment. or He'd been cooking bacon because apparently bacon had been something that one of the American shows had sort of proven to attract these kind of things. Oh, yeah, whatever. We're walking backwards and forwards on this walkway, and we've been going backwards and forwards from, from our first location to the lookout location all night, if you know what I mean. Like we were dumping gear there then coming backwards and forwards. So we probably walked this path about eight times, you know, in in two hours or something like that. The first thing that got weird was we suddenly found this huge (laughs) feces. This huge crap had been done (laughs) in this walkway in the period of time since we'd last walked it and come back again. And uh, we went, that's really on. We looked at it and had a bit of a skip. And make, we're obviously making jokes about it. But there's all hair in it and all sorts of stuff. And we go, okay, yeah, it could be something and all sorts of stuff. And that, that was a bit odd. We're going back to the lookout and stuff. And then we uh, started having things thrown at us. Oh, really? Which was completely new for me. And I uh, wasn't too sure what was going on with that. And these were started with small rocks and then became sizable rocks. The problem was with it, though, is that they were being thrown up a cliff because we were on a cliff face at the top on a lookout overlooking an area, and they were being launched from down, way down on the ground, up and being lobbed onto it. Oh, wow. Which, I mean, I still talk about now, and that's still quite odd. I mean, that's like, you know, 100 feet or something like that. I mean, it's a fair drop. Uh, and then Attila started doing, you know, he liked to do these yowie calls, you know. So he started doing these yowie calls, went in there, and then we started to hear. And we've been hearing things all night. Like you hear animals and, look, I understand that a koala, I don't know if you've ever heard a koala bear go off when it's angry, but a koala bear sounds like Satan with its pants on oh, fire. Like, absolutely. Really, They're terrifying. They, they're just terrifying. And we've been hearing everything. So, yeah, yeah, you kind of get a feel for it. Owls and all this sort of stuff. Attila's doing this um, yaoi call, which it sounds like you kind of pretty much think, yeah, six foot five, six foot six Hungarian. He's going to be able to do a, a good call. And he does. He does a fantastic yaoi call. And then we started to hear it being replied, like sending back to us. And so it was like, oh, this is getting weird. Is getting really weird. So we're doing this to and fro, backwards and forwards across this canyon. And we thought, like, yeah, it could be someone playing, you know, silly buggers with us or something. There's always that possibility. The problem is, though, again, this canyon was so deep, so far, so wide. I mean, 
down there, was, it was an off-limits area. It was all cordoned off by the government. It was after dark. Anyone who's mucking around out there, I mean, it would be very dangerous at that stage because there were dangerous drops everywhere. Uh, it would be a hell of a game to play just for the sake of a silly joke because you would really be taking your life on, on your own hands. Um, yeah. So anyway, we, we, it freaked us out. It freaked me out. Like I was, I came back and wow. So I then took the recordings. I, I, I edited the, the show. And before I, I did the final edit, I, I took the show to a biologist called Gary Oppert, who lives in Queensland. And Gary uh, has his own or had his own radio show with the ABC. He's a biologist. Uh, he's pretty much been dedicated his whole life to identifying Australian wildlife. Um, he's an expert. So I took it to him, thinking that, you know, He's going to sit there and say, boys, you know, this is this type of owl you were communicating with. Uh, but unfortunately, he didn't. And, and uh, Gary at that stage revealed to us that uh, he'd actually believed in yowies, which I found shocking. Oh, wow. Because he's a scientist, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, and I suppose the yowie is, it is science. I mean, there is uh, evidence of um Gigantopithecus, if you go through the, the, yeah, the most, chain. Yeah, most definitely. You know, if there's anything, it's probably more, there's more tangibility with something like a Yowie or a Bigfoot because of it has actually existed at some stage than it is, say, of a ghost. You know I mean? We've got some sort of an evidence of it. But anyway, so I played him the, um, the footage. And, uh, yeah, the guy said, in his opinion, he thought we called up a Yowie, which completely floored me. And to this day, I still have difficulty coming to terms with it. I'm still not sure about it. I still sit there and go, you know, but then there's a part of me that goes, well, this is a guy that obviously, you know, spends his life kind of doing this sort of stuff and he thinks they're real as well. So one of those hard ones that I, I go, well, yeah, don't know. It's a question mark, and it's one that I'd like to revisit again, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, Attila's working on his own documentary with uh, with Track, which I'm I'm absolutely fanging for. I I think that's going to be some some eye opening footage on that one, from what I've heard. I tell you what, if anyone in Australia is going to make a film, and we've been doing some little little bit of stuff with Attila on Track as well, right? But I can tell you this now: that if anyone in Australia is going to make a film that is going to lift the lid off this thing and is qualified enough to do it as well. It's definitely a locality. I mean, this is going to be a very unique film. And, uh, yeah, I think it's long overdue. We often had joked. It's since that time. I've, I've, and I have often joked about the Yowie thing, and it's been one of our things that said Australia needs a Yowie documentary. It needs it. It's long overdue, and uh, it's good to see that he's and he's doing it wisely. That's what I like about Attila. He's not rushing it. He's been working on track for, I mean, over a year now, taking his time with it. He's moving cautiously through all the evidence and uh, all the alleged evidence and, and all these different claims. He's going through all the groups that are that are you know saying that they've had experiences or or whatever, and uh, he's. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very special film. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really really looking forward to it. Actually, it's uh, like you said, there's there's nothing else out there in Australia on the Yowie in, in the sense of documentary wise, and it's it's really it's about time. I think it's. I mean, that's an unfortunate thing. I don't think there's much. Uh, there's not much paranormal, and uh, when I say paranormal and UFO, I mean crypto. I mean everything. There's not that much from Australia at all. No, there's not really. And uh, that's a shame because, I mean, we've got 26 million people here in this country. It's a huge land. The land mass is equal to pretty much the entirety of, uh, of America. We've got a, a slither of their population. Australia's got such a, man, such a background, such a history. And there are so many weird uh, folklore and cultural things out there. But, uh, yeah, we just don't have. We just don't have the manpower to do it. It's not the people making it. Well, that's and that's exactly it. And that's probably a really good transition into, I guess, what gave you the drive to to do Australian Skies? Uh, Australian Skies, look, it came about from a, a simple idea. It was 2014 when we, we were tossing about doing um, – the next project, I'd finished off. So I'd, I'd done. I just finished off the thing. Ghost of Casula, uh, the Casula Powerhouse had uh, hired me to do a, a big documentary for them uh, about the the Casula Powerhouse in Sydney. And I'd gone down for the screening, and I think at the same time, uh, Paracon was happening, and I went down there and. Uh, you know, we, we, I was just looking for something to do with UFOs. I knew that uh, Star Wars was coming out in 2015. It was 2014, and I thought, look, you know, this is going to be the time. Get on the hype train. Yeah, it is. And I think that's half – I mean, I know that sounds quite salacious, but you do have to sit there and read your environment. And if, and if you're smart, or you know, not even smart, but half smart, I mean, you, you just have to read your environment, and and you've got to have a finger in the wind, so to speak, like just seeing which way it's blowing. And um, it had just been up to about that time. It was definitely by about 2014 in Australia. It had all been paranormal, and I say by 2014, the, the, it was in a death row. And uh, you could see it was like it was just exhausted. It was, it was everyone was exhausted from the paranormal and ghosts and all sorts of stuff. And there just hadn't been that much sort of UFO documentaries out there. And it was like, you know what? I think it's time for a UFO documentary to be made. And that's kind of where we started thinking about Australian Skies, something that was uniquely Australian. And the the goal of Australian Skies was to listen to people, to find people and their stories, to listen to them and to tell their stories. And I think that's one of the things that makes us made and makes Australian Skies different to a certain degree is that it, uh, it is about people and it is about listening to their stories and telling stories, you know, about their experiences. And it doesn't really try to push a narrative. It's, it's only sharing what happens to these people. 
Yeah, and that's the hard thing because sometimes they go on wild goose chases, you know. But and to be and and I think that um, you know that's the thing. You, it, it, it's about real life, and you. Uh, I think one of the things that my dad said was, you know, you got to walk to find out you know, about someone. You got to walk a mile in their shoes and all this sort of stuff. You know, and it's like. And that's really what it is, is you almost embed yourself with someone for a year or you, you start to walk in their shoes and you start to see, and, and oftentimes, not a goose chase, but it, it it can go in unpredictable areas where you sit there and you think, well, that doesn't really fit a really nice Hollywood narrative. I wish it would, but often it doesn't. And there's, there's U-turns and there's quick turns and stuff, and you just got to... You're really, as opposed to driving it, you've almost got to let yourself be the passenger and just hit record and just follow, you know. And when you were recording Australian Skies 1 and 2, was there anything in there that made you question the existence of UFOs and if they're real, if if they're maybe from out of this world or anything like that? Uh, look, to be fair, with 1 and 2, every five minutes you're questioning. There, there's a lot of stuff that you would... Uh, specifically in number two. Number two was one that was like a pendulum. Like it, it was, you, you were swinging from, not so much do you believe, not believe, but do you think it's this? or do you, And they swing back, do you think it's that? Do you think it's this? Do you think it's that? And, uh, and, and the weird thing about that one was is that uh, that one was with Liam. Liam was fascinating. His case was a fascinating case. And, uh, yeah, there were times in that where it actually got scary. Oh, really? Yeah, we had to, we had to really be very careful, especially in the middle of the film. In the middle of the film, Liam talks about how he used to see these strange things in the sky. He had this turning point in his life where he was just a normal dad, normal husband, and then obviously he had a particular date where this, it just, everything, his whole life just came crashing down on him. Oh, wow. And he started, he started to see these strange objects in the sky. There was a real turn in the film where he had, we'd always thought that they were being attracted to him. But in actual fact, Liam came to a conclusion that they weren't necessarily being attracted to him, that they were being attracted or, I don't know if attracted is the right word, but let's just use attracted. They were being attracted to a factory that was behind where he was seeing all these things. Really? He, he was really perhaps just observing a certain percentages of these sightings as he opposed was right to time, right place. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that could be wrong as well. And that's the whole idea. We, we weren't sure what, so we had to work that out. And then um, in the film, he gave a lot of details out to where this was. And we had to beep it out because of legal reasons. We had lawyers there saying, look, you can't put this in in Australia because this is not kosher. You can't do it. Um, we had to beep it out where the sightings were happening and what and and basically it was that he decided that he'd sussed out that this factory was happening, this big industrial complex, for want of a better term, 
was possibly a landing area or a takeoff area for these things. Oh, wow. And so he was like, okay, maybe I'm not actually, I'm, I'm sure he's probably attracting them. Or There was some sort of symbiotic thing going on perhaps, but there was also probably a side of it that there, these things were actually landing and taking off. And it was like, what was it, the chicken or the egg? Did they... Did this symbiotic relationship happen after he started seeing these things when he shouldn't have, or did they happen afterwards? You know, so it was all this sort of unraveling that we were all trying to work out. And so he started to decide he found this warehouse, a big factory complex, and he decided to go down and stuff it out at night. And he went down there and uh, staked out for several nights and came back with an interesting sort of idea of what it was. We uh, we heard about this and we decided, Attila and I, because Attila was helping me film it at this stage, Attila and I and the film crew, we decided to go out and stake it out for ourselves. So we set off to this industrial area in the middle of on a, on a Friday night after hours to see if we could verify what, what Liam had said. And... I mean, we blocked it out in the film, but I'm going to tell you what it was. It was an aerospace company. You're kidding. No. And we were like, holy crap, this is actually getting pretty serious. And then we started doing more research, and there were several aerospace companies in this area. Uh, so, yeah, and there was a bit more to that story, but... That, this is where the, the documentary side of it comes in. If you were just a, an investigator, you could probably go full guns blazing and go straight into it. <clears throat> but as a documentary maker, you do have to sort of protect and uh, abide by the wishes of the people that you're working with. And at that stage, Liam had been going through a lot of stuff and uh, he just he was not interested he was actually terrified. I didn't want to have anything to do with uh, any of that sort of stuff. And we had reason to believe that if we had pushed it, would there be some pushback? So we sort of backed off from it. But, uh, yeah, no, there was, it was definitely an interesting – that was an interesting point for me where I was like, wow, okay, this is – we're starting to – st- I could see the rabbit hole. We're starting to slip down a rabbit hole here. Yeah. yeah, right. That's fascinating. Yeah. You've got to be careful of that. It's very easy to do. There's – I'll tell you, Kay, a lot of stuff at times can seem very simple on the outset and because we're all rational and, you know, we're pragmatic and we try and we like to put things together piece by piece, at times, yeah, there are rabbit holes that you do come across that you kind of go, wow, that is a black hole there that is begging to be explored, but am I the one to do it or do I have the facilities to do it? And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, but you've got to be very careful with the, the fights you pick. Wow. I, I, there's I'm, uh, there's not much you can really say to that. It, it's it's mind-blowing. I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of shocked about the, the revelation of what the that company may have been, and um, I'm sure if the, the listeners do – a little bit of research, you know, they might be able to dig a little bit deeper on that themselves, but that's that's absolutely incredible there, Don. Yeah, I'm not going to say where it was, 
(laughs) (laughs) And we actually were very careful in the film to block out where it was. And uh, why we did it as well, why we blocked it out in the film is because we wanted to see if anyone could write through to us or we wanted to watch the internet to start to watch the area. And it's not an area that you would think would be uh, suspicious or anything like that. But since then, yeah, we have come across and we have had people write to us and we've had a couple, we've had one uh, gentleman in particular who picked it all and he, he wrote through this and we were like, wow, okay, you got to keep your mouth shut. But yeah, you've absolutely nailed it. And um, yeah, it's, uh, um, yeah, so there's probably a little bit more going on than what we think. <laughs> That's what I'll say. So, I mean, after doing those those two documentaries, what's your what's your thoughts on on the whole UFO phenomena? I think it's a fascinating time to be alive right now with the UFO phenomena. I tell you what, I'm going to put some money down on the table. I reckon in the next three years, five years tops, but I'm saying it's more like three years. We're going to have, this is like saying the second coming of Jesus is about to happen, but anyway, uh, I, I definitely think in the next three years we're going to have uh, what I suppose a lot of people would call disclosure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt. In the next three to five years, but I'll say three. And I reckon Donald Trump will get back in to government for a second term, and I'd say he's going to be instrumental as well. So uh, I think that uh, what I find fascinating is uh, the Tom DeLonge thing with Blink-182. What's your take on that? I haven't watched it yet. I'm really, really, really keen, but I've heard nothing but amazing things from it. it. Here's a funny thing. Tom DeLonge. Blink-182, we've all grown up listening to Blink-182. We all know who Tom DeLonge is. I mean, this is a gentleman who wrote a song about having sex with a dog. Yes. <laughs> and yet, he somehow managed to get into this amazing position where he's this liaison between government and almost the, the populace. It's fascinating. The it's amazing. And... For once, I mean, I can be as critical, and I can be as sarcastic and as cynical, and I'm probably leaning more on the cynical side myself. But I tell you what, I've been watching the news, and even in Australia, like you watch the project in Australia, you, you've got you, you watch the project at seven o'clock. Yeah, okay, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Right? Even these guys, like two weeks, three weeks ago, they had a thing on UFOs on there, and there was no X Files music. There was no sarcastic ramble. And there was footage of, you know, the Tic Tac UFO that was just recently seen last year. That in the, in the thermal version? Yeah, yeah. And everything was uh, the, um, to the Stars Academy was down, the bug was there, the, 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 the to the Stars Academy. And the dialogue, what, what I found fascinating was the dialogue, it was on the table and it was with all the the comedians are there and the lawyers and stuff like Wade and, and all the comedians are there. It was it, this conversation was on the table about this UFO thing and they all 
talked about it without any sort of jokes or or sarcasm or or just mockery. And there was it's very interesting to uh, to see this change in Australian media. And possibly, I think we're going to see this more. I, I beg everyone to actually start to pay more attention to the media, what to do with UFOs, and watch the tone. Have you noticed it changed? The tone has changed from where it used to be. And uh, almost now you'll still see the the uh, X-Files music being played when someone does a UFO story. But if they do, the news station is cheesy or they're 10 years or five years behind. They're almost like, they're not cool. They're not a cool radio. They're not a cool TV station. They're sort of like the the you know the poor man sort of station, or they're the local community station, or something like that. Yeah, but for the sure. But the mainstream the mainstream ones actually seem to be having a sensible dialogue about it. Oh, so, most definitely. I mean, yeah, like you like you said, you just have to look at any any of these larger, I guess, networks, and yeah. the the stories that they're putting out. That it's almost like they're taking it borderline seriously. Yeah, and it's almost or, and and to the conspiracy theorists inside me, it's are they priming the the public for for disclosure in a few years? I think you've just said what I was not wanting to say, but was thinking. I I do think we're getting primed, and I think that that's that's going to be the case. I think they're getting ready, and uh, and I'm not a disclosure movement person. I'm not into that. I. I Look, I, I listen to it and I watch it, and I, I'm happy to to you know observe and to dialogue about it. But I'm not a card bearing disclosure movement person. My my opinion is just based on watching media movements and someone who watches the media, and just seeing the subtle changes and some of these great leaps that are happening. And I hate to say it, I have to admit it. The Tom DeLong, regardless of what we all think and what we all say, and obviously he's come under a lot of criticism for not delivering this or not delivering that. I actually think it's phenomenal what's happening. Absolutely. I, I agree, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So I think it's an exciting time. That's what I think it is. I, I actually, I would have never, five years ago, I'd have said, no, nah, it's never going to happen. But today I sit down and think, all right, I'll give you a countdown timer. Let's watch it happen. Yeah, right. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to keep an eye on that one there, Don. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You've been an absolute pleasure to talk to. And it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting to kind of get behind the lens and see the mindset of a, uh, a filmmaker when it comes into the uh, paranormal realm. No, it's been my pleasure. And uh, we've, we'll have to have another chat when this uh, third Australian size gets released. We might do a bit of a uh, a bit of a review or something like that. Yeah, mate, absolutely. I mean, uh, your third one. It's the uh, the Min Min Light, and the Min Min Light is one of my favourite topics on this radio show. It's um, it's a it's a listener favourite too. So uh, I'll definitely ah, be picking good. your ears to pieces about <laughs> that one. <laughs> well, don't worry, you're going to love this one. You're going to have a lot to pick as well. So we'll have a lot to go over. So, yeah, this one's a good one. So oh, we'll have good. Fantastic, mate. Well, yeah, thank you again for coming on. No worries, man. It's been my pleasure. And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook and that's facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. Until next time, stay safe. And you've been listening to Believe Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.